Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is student minister Aaron Adams. Good Friday. Have you ever thought about that term, Good Friday? Might seem strange or peculiar at first. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Really, what makes this Friday so good? I know that's a question I have asked myself more than once. What's so good about Good Friday? Because for Mary, the mother of Jesus, on that day who watched her son be brutally executed, I'm sure in that moment, this wasn't a Good Friday. Or Mary Magdalene, or Peter, or any other real follower of Jesus, I'm sure this wasn't, in the moment, a Good Friday. But fortunately for us, this truly is a Good Friday. See, it started all around the Passover. And as Didi recalled last week, this would have been like our 4th of July celebration. This would have been a, a time of grand celebration, a time of remembrance, a time of family, a time of festivities. And at the time, Pontius Pilate, who was leading the Roman cohort at the time, would have entered the city of Jerusalem from the west side. And it would have been a grand entrance. He had been riding in a chariot pulled by war horses, followed by a company of Roman soldiers. It was a display of force, a way to show the Jewish people, the people of Jerusalem, that no protest, no rebellion would be tolerated. And near the same time, Jesus would have been entering the city of Jerusalem, but from the east. And Jesus at this time wasn't riding a war horse like some would have hoped or expected. Jesus was riding on a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. See, these, these two parades, the one led by Pilate and the one by Jesus, would come into direct conflict, but not for the reason that many had expected. See, for some, they had, they had seen Jesus as the Messiah and that they hoped that the Messiah would come and he would lead a revolution. He would restore what is rightfully theirs. But the story plays out much different. See, these Roman imp imperial triumphant parades would have been commonplace for the Jewish onlookers. See, anytime the Romans came victorious in a foreign conquest, they would celebrate. They would honor a high-ranking military commander or official, and they would enter the city. They would march toward the city. And once again, chariots. The honoree would be in a chariot pulled by these war horses, followed by the imperial guard. And the honoree would have his rank in office proudly displayed for all to see. And he'd be wearing a purple robe. And these purple robes were, they were reserved for royalty. 
not just anyone could wear these purple robes. You had to have a certain rank, be a certain class, or you had to be this triumphant, as they called it. Otherwise, it was considered unlawful. And the honoree would have this gold crown of laurel leaves follow behind him. And these items, the purple robe, the gold crown, was most likely borrowed from the Roman temple in honor of the Roman god Jupiter, a sign for deity. If you got to wear this purple robe, wear this crown, like you were up there with the gods, so they believed. And the imperial guard would follow this, this, this parade towards the city, toward the temple, They'd be shouting, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! And you get this, this picture and you can envision in your head those chants bouncing off the buildings and echoing off the rock streets. And they'd make their way towards the temple. And a sacrificial bull would follow. And it'd be adorned in a similar fashion. Colors of, of gold and purple. A double-bladed axe followed this bull, a symbol of death for the victim, the bull. As the Romans pulled up to the temple, a glass of wine would be handed to the honoree, and they would reject it, and they'd pour it over the altar, a symbol of the blood voluntarily poured out by the sacrifice. And you might be wondering, okay, why, why do these details matter? These are, these are the Romans. They're triumphant imperial parades. Why does this matter? Well, see, Jesus is about to endure his own triumphant parade, but of a much different kind. See, at this point, Jesus has been willingly arrested, much different than many had expected. I mean, after all, they did go after Jesus with swords and clubs, expecting a fight. But that's not what they found. Other than Peter cut off a guy's ear, Jesus didn't want that, and he healed that man. Jesus has been voluntarily, willingly arrested. The elders, the chief priests, they're furious with Jesus. They want nothing than the blood of Jesus. They want nothing but death for Jesus. They're trying to find every claim, every accusation to get Jesus the death penalty. They're so desperate for this evidence that they're willing to bring people forward to give false testimony. People are willing to lie about the things that they have seen Jesus do and the things that they have seen Jesus say so they could have hard evidence in the court to sentence Jesus to death. But these didn't stand up to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, because the false claims, they didn't match up. Each was just different enough. It wasn't good enough. And accusation after accusation, claim after claim, Jesus has been silent. He's been quiet. He hasn't jumped to his own defense. He hasn't made excuses for the things he said, for the miracles he performed. He was just quiet. 
And finally, the high priest comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. He says, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus finally responds, and it's simple. He says, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this once again infuriates the elders, and the high priests, and the Sanhedrin. But they finally have what they wanted. Reason to bring Jesus to Pilate with enough evidence, what they deem to be blasphemy and treason, to hopefully get Jesus executed. And with this, they begin to spit on Jesus. And they beat him over and over and over again that night. And then they hand Jesus over to the guards. And the guards beat Jesus over and over and over again that same night. And early the next morning, the elders, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, They've put together their plan. They're going to bring Jesus, their prisoner, to Pilate. They're going to bring their, their evidence, their claims and accusations in hopes of having Jesus crucified. And see, Jesus has been accused of many things. One of those things being royalty. The king of the Jews, which for the Romans... That's treason. And so Pilate asked Jesus a simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply says, you have said so. I mean, once again, Jesus is standing before Pilate. You can feel the tension building. The crowd is anxious. The crowd is angry. Jesus has done things, accusation after accusation, claim after claim. And once again, like the night before, Jesus is standing there in silence. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Jesus responds with a simple, you have said so. See, Pilate is, is a bit astounded at Jesus' reaction at this point. Insult after insult, accusation after accusation, claim after claim, and Jesus remains silent. Jesus, if you're innocent, why don't you just tell me? They're accusing you of a lot. They've made a lot of claims about you. Defend yourself, and Jesus remains silent. And at this time, it was customary for the Romans to release one prisoner during Passover that the, the crowd asked for. This time they're requesting a man by the name of Barabbas. And Barabbas is a murderer. He was a part of a rebellion, ended in murder, and Barabbas is now in prison, most likely to die, except for maybe this one condition, if Pilate grants it. So here's what happens next. Mark chapter 15 starts in verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. 
knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. See, all indications point to Pilate not really seeing a reason to have Jesus crucified. Maybe I'll just release Jesus back to them. And so Pilate asked that question. Who do you want me to release to you? Jesus? No. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus, the one that you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him. We want you to crucify him. Like you can feel the tension building in the crowd. The chief priests, the elders want nothing more than the death of Jesus. And so they're stirring up the crowd. The tensions are building. Crucify him, they shout. And Pilate, seeing that he doesn't want a full-fledged riot on his hands, and knowing that he really doesn't have a dog in the fight, says, okay, you can have Barabbas. The murderer can go free. Jesus will be flogged, and I'll hand him over to be crucified. And so they bound Jesus, and they lead him to the Praetorium, which is the military headquarters. It's the place of the emperor's bodyguards. And they call together a, a whole company of Roman soldiers. And this is interesting. This is a bit odd. See, for just a normal flogging, a normal beating of a prisoner, a few soldiers would do. But they call together a whole company of soldiers. See, when they would call together a whole company, it was usually for battle drills, for those imperial triumphant parades, or for war. For Jesus, a whole company of soldiers is called together, and this could mean upwards to a few hundred Roman soldiers present for the beating of Jesus. And see, this is where we really begin to see the connection between those Roman imperial triumphant parades and the story of Jesus. And so they stripped Jesus of his clothing and they put on a purple robe. Remember, a purple robe is a symbol of royalty here. It's unlawful for anybody to wear purple unless you, you held a certain rank or you are a, an honoree, a triumphant. And they placed this on Jesus. I'm not sure where they got it. Maybe they borrowed it from Pilate because he should have been one of the only ones there with it. But nonetheless, they put a purple robe on Jesus. Instead of shouts of hail Caesar, hail Caesar, it is shouts of hail the king of the Jews. Hail the king of the Jews. See, for Jesus, this is a joke. They're mocking Jesus. For a Roman honoree, this was an honor. You wanted that purple robe. For Jesus, hail king of the Jews. Instead of a, a crown of gold laurel leaves, they twisted together a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. 
Hail, King of the Jews, as they got on their knees. Hail, King of the Jews. And then they beat him over and over and over again. They struck him on the head over and over and over again. They spit on him over and over again. They have beaten Jesus so badly that he is already near death. And then they lead him out to be crucified. And crucifixion is so brutal that the Romans would not ever dare crucify one of their own citizens. Crucifixion was left for the lowest of the low, for criminals. So they lead Jesus into the streets to carry his cross, instrument of death. Not a double-bladed axe meant for the bull, but a cross for crucifixion, for the criminal. And they force Jesus to carry his cross and he begins to stumble slowly through the streets. But Jesus has been beaten so badly, he has already lost so much blood that he is not strong enough to make it on his own. And so they call Simon and they force him into to duty to help carry this cross. And then they slowly begin to make their way through the crowded streets. They stumble their way through the crowded streets. And instead of chance of proclamation and adoration from the crowd, it's, it's chance of disappointment. It's continuous insults to Jesus as they make their way through the crowd, through the streets, to the side of the crucifixion. And they finally make it there place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they crucify Jesus. They strip him of his clothes and they nail him to that, that cross. And they rise him in the ground between two criminals. The Roman centurions who are there, who are there to stand watch, to stand guard, immediately begin casting lots, which means they are gambling for the clothes of Jesus. They are literally gambling for the robe, for the belt, for the sandals of Jesus and any other belongings that he had. A sign hung above the head of Jesus that said, King of the Jews. Again, for the, the Roman triumphant, they would proudly display their rank and office, but for Jesus, this was once again a joke. It was meant as an insult. It was meant to humiliate Jesus. And passerbys would stop at Golgotha, the place of the skull. And they would say, is this the man that was able to save so many? Why don't you come down and why don't you save yourself? Bet he can't. Is this, is this the man that said he was gonna tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days? Why doesn't he save himself? I bet he can't. I guess he was a fraud. And Jesus is hanging there on the cross, dying. Now, could have Jesus saved himself? 100%, I believe he could. In that moment, could Jesus have called a whole legion of angels to save him? Absolutely, 100%, I believe he could. But instead, Jesus submitted himself to suffer on that cross. And then they offer Jesus a cup of wine, a sponge of wine mixed with myrrh. And instead of, of for the Roman triumphant, signifying the, the poured out blood of the sacrificial bull, 
Jesus is pouring out his own blood for his children, for his people. And so, once again, we have to ask the question, what makes Good Friday so good? Because up until this point, it's been nothing but suffering for Jesus. It's been nothing but brutal pain for Jesus. He's been beaten. He's been humiliated. He's been spit on. He's been betrayed. He's been deserted. So what makes this so good? But Mark's able to tell us that this is a true triumph of Jesus. That this is a real victory by Jesus. And it reads, Mark 15, verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Yes, there is a heaviness in the crucifixion of Jesus, the story of Good Friday that we can't ignore. But this day is not meant to be mourned. It's meant to be remembered. It's meant to be celebrated. See, in that moment that Jesus breathed his last breath and he gave out that loud shout, you would have thought that evil had won. I mean, after all, those that wanted Jesus crucified got what they wanted, right? He's hanging there on a cross, dying. Satan, who wanted nothing than to destroy the mission of Jesus, got what he wanted, right? So you would have thought. But what Jesus was doing on that cross was winning a victory that we couldn't fight for or obtain on our own. That's what makes this a good Friday. It's a good Friday because evil couldn't have the last word. It's a good Friday because I too am Barabbas. Because what Jesus did on that cross has set me free. It's a good Friday because my debt is paid. It's a good Friday because your debt is paid. It's a good Friday because the mission of God was accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's a good Friday because that centurion who watched Jesus breathe his last breath, who watched Jesus give that loud shout, who was just momentarily gambling for the robe, the belt and the sandals of Jesus, and who most likely had a little affiliation with Jesus, saw Jesus die and said, this man had to be the son of God. That's why this is a good Friday. It's a good Friday because we're not meant to stand in the shadow of the cross, but we're meant to live in the light of the resurrection. That's why it's a good Friday. And you would think that the cross is a place of darkness and it's a lonely place and it's a place of suffering and it's a place of pain. But thankfully for us, we're not meant for the darkness. We're meant for the light. 
and it's found in resurrection. It's a good Friday because the story isn't over. It's a good Friday because Jesus rose again. It's a good Friday because we have the opportunity to live in the light and the hope of the resurrection. It truly is a good Friday. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.